Thank you all so very much. And I look forward to the next step. Welcome to episode three of our three-part series on what works for HBCUs in Opportunity Zones to access capital. I'm Timothy Maurice Webster, a behavioral psychology author and researcher, and it gives me great joy to present our final episode of this three-part series. No innovation conversation is complete without tech. So we welcome our very own, our moderator, Charles Sills, National Program Director for Defense Leadership Forum, and he's joined by panelist Dr. Chinyonye Ninakwe Whitley, Program Director at National Science Foundation, and Dr. Chad Womack, Senior Director of National STEM Programs and Initiatives for United Negro College Fund. Together they explore biotech, STAP capacity, quantum insights, and so much more. Also, we have an inspiring surprise at the end of this episode with Minority Business Development Agency's J.R. Baggerty and an extraordinary close by Dr. Teresa O'Rourke. Enjoy. So my name is Charles Sills. I'm the National Program Director uh, for the Defense Leadership Forum, uh, which is a public service organization. And we run major government defense contracting around the country uh, all year. Uh, mainly focused on helping small businesses and diversity suppliers access federal and defense contracting and helping them partner with the larger prime corporations. So that is our mission. Uh, and, and as Keith mentioned, I'm also an associate with KDM and Associates. It's my great honor to introduce uh, Dr. Chiranye Nakwe Whitley, PhD, uh, as Keith mentioned, known as Dr. Chichi. And she is a program officer for the National Science Foundations, a program to stimulate competitive research. And she currently manages a $107 million portfolio of 26 grants and cooperative agreements focused on broadening participation in STEM learning. She is a molecular biologist as well and has done very significant research work in the neuroscience, immunology, and cancer biology sectors. Our second panelist is Dr. Ch uh, Chad Womack, who is a senior director of STEM initiatives and the HBCU Innovation, Commercialization, and Entrepreneurship Program at UNCF. Uh, Chad has extensive history in pioneering underserved community programs involving STEM education, tech entrepreneurship, and access to capital, such as the America 21 Project and DC Innovates, and he also led the White House-based HBCU Startup and Innovation Initiative. Chad is a graduate of Morehouse College, where he majored in biology with minors in chemistry and applied physics. And he earned his doctoral degree in biomedical sciences from the Morehouse School of Medicine. I'd like to turn first to uh, Dr. Whitley and ask her to, to uh, present and say uh, words on, on, her, on her work. Hello everyone, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be able to um, talk to you all today about um, opportunities we have at the National Science Foundation. These are not all the opportunities um, within the area of innovation and entrepreneurship, but I would be remiss if I didn't highlight programs that's happening here um, at our established program to simulate competitive research or EPSCOR. And I thank you again, um, Dr. Rogue, Dr. Moore, Dr. Huguene for inviting me to be able to speak. And so um, if I may share my screen, I'd like to 
present uh, my slides. Okay, excellent. Again, my name is Chino Nyanakwe Whitley. I'm a program director at the National Science Foundation. And I'd like to talk about opportunities at the intersection of academia and industry. But first, I'd like to speak about the established program to stimulate competitive research, which is a congressionally mandated program, has been exist in existence since the late 70s. And the mission of this program is to enhance the competitiveness of targeted jurisdictions, uh, which are states, territories, or commonwealths by building and strengthening STEM capacity and competitiveness. Uh, many are familiar with our jurisdiction-wide awards, which provide uh, 20 million across um, five years. But I'd like to talk today about uh, two other initiatives that we have in our program that focus on regional partnerships and early career faculty. And you can find all the details at our site here. I'm talking about um, these opportunities because within these opportunities, there are ways to engage and promote economic development, as well as um, provide training opportunities for researchers um, in industrial environments. So the first opportunity is our Research Infrastructure Improvement Track 2 um, track, which builds research capacity through interjurisdictional collaborations with a focus on NSF-wide priorities. And we are in a cycle in which the topic of choice is focused on advancing research towards industries of the future to ensure economic growth for EPSCOR jurisdictions. And so um, this opportunity invites researchers from EPSCOR jurisdictions to collaborate across um, jurisdictions and to compete for um, funds that provide between four to six million over four years with a focus on the following areas in future of manufacturing. That would be advanced manufacturing, advanced wireless, artificial intelligence, which is what we were discussing earlier, uh, Mr. Moore, biotechnology, quantum information science, and spectrum innovation science. The current solicitation that describes this opportunity in full um, is currently open. And while the first round has closed, we anticipate a next round in which individuals who are interested can submit letters of intent um, in mid-December of 21, and then um, submit a full proposal in late January of 2022. So the idea is that right now, while we're having this conversation, um, researchers that are in EPSCOR eligible jurisdictions will be able to think about collaborations that they could build with the focus on building up the STEM workforce, supporting early career faculty, and focusing research that will advance economic development across EPSCOR jurisdictions. I um, am remiss to say that um, to be eligible for EPSCOR um, jurisdictions, meaning states, U.S. territories, or possessions must be possessing less than 0.75% of um, EPSCOR, or excuse me, NSF funding over five years. And our eligibility table is available on our website. The next opportunity that I wanted to speak about was our research infrastructure track for EPSCOR research fellows. And the, the 
This opportunity has a focus on building the careers of the next generation of STEM researchers. Ideally, it this fellowship provides opportunities for non-tenured um, individual uh, investigators to develop their research potential through extended collaborative visits to the nation's premier private, governmental, or academic research centers. And so this opportunity is very broad, but I highlighted private because if faculty wanted to conduct research at a commercial center, at a, at a company, they have that capability. With this opportunity, researchers would be able to learn new techniques, build collaborative partnerships, extend their research towards transformative directions. And while they would benefit, their careers would benefit, um, we also hope that their home institution and jurisdiction would also benefit from the partnerships they're able to gain. I'm also excited to be able to present here at Alabama ANU because we have two tracks for this opportunity in which um, in our RII track for NSF track, faculty can go anywhere in the US to pursue um, their collaborative partnerships. And the topics are in any area that NSF funds. In our second track, which is new, it's called RII Track for FAST, or Fellows Advancing Science and Technology. And it gives researchers the ability to advance their careers in topics that would be um, available to them at selected NASA research centers. In addition, specific institution types are eligible. And among those institutions that are eligible is our minority serving institutions such as HBCUs. And so among these different institutions that are eligible, we hope that researchers, regardless of which track they may be interested, will be able to access up to 300,000 over two years to be able to advance their careers, have salary support, be able to travel to another location to conduct their research activities, and also bring along a trainee level participant and receive support for that trainee as well. I'm gonna move to the next slide so that I have some opportunity for my colleague to speak. Um, I wanna note, I want you to note for this opportunity that deadline is April 26th of this year, 2021. And to be able to outreach to the community, we are hosting a series of office hours in which interested applicants can engage and ask their questions after they've had an opportunity to read the solicitation, um, view the pre-recorded webinar presentation, and they are welcome to submit questions to me via email. And if there's a need for additional accommodations outside of real-time closed captioning, they're also able to reach out to me to be able to receive those. Um, here's all the contact information that's also available in the solicitation. And finally, I wanted to highlight an opportunity that's available across the foundation for graduate trainees that are working with researchers supported by NSF funds. They have the opportunity to apply to the NSF intern program where they can conduct internships at a company during their graduate careers. And the idea is to provide them with non-academic research experiences that can help promote uh, their career development for the long term. Ideally, PIs can work with their graduate trainees to request up to $55,000 
for six months of an internship at companies. And that companies can be startups or they can be large commercial organizations, but they're encouraged to go to our NSF.gov intern site for more details. With that, I will stop my presentation and I look forward to engaging further. Thank you. Dr. Whitley, thank you so much. Terrific programs and outreach, really, really important. Dr. Womack, would you please go ahead? It's your turn. Well, that's a hard act to follow. Uh, Dr. Chichi is always uh, engaging and wonderful to uh, listen to. I want to thank uh, Dr. Teresa Ruck at uh, Alabama A&M and Mr. Keith Moore for inviting me uh, to talk about tech transfer opportunity zones. And um, I'll segue from Dr. Chichi's presentation to talk about how HBCUs might position themselves as uh, 21st century higher ed institutions that are innovative um, and entrepreneurial in their R&D enterprise. Let's first start by saying that our HBCUs were founded uh, to solve a certain set of challenges for the African-American community. And I think we should plant a flag of success that our HBCUs have succeeded in uh, fulfilling that mission. However, in uh, the 70s and early 80s, a few things happened that um, shifted the ground uh, a bit underneath universities and colleges nationwide, um, which uh, really provided a new set of incentives for universities to commercialize uh, the technology and intellectual property that was being generated on their campuses. And I'm referring to the Bayh-Dole Act in particular, which really set the stage for uh, universities to be able to uh, uh, assign and have ownership and equity in uh, the intellectual products that they were producing uh, through their research and allowing them to then engage in the commercial sector or mark private sector market um, by either licensing that technology to a commercial entity or uh, to spinning out uh, companies with equity in uh, their uh, in the company itself, and allowing those companies, startup companies, to grow um, externally, and that has uh, since the Bayh-Dole Act, um, uh, several uh, universities have really uh, taken the bull by the horn. Uh, there are some notable examples of uh, these types of universities that have been entrepreneurial like the Massachusetts Institute for Technology or MIT. Um, the uh, most notable would be Stanford, uh, Berkeley, Georgia Tech, University of Michigan, and several others, uh, I should say NYU Medical Center as well, have really uh, taken the bull by the horn and really been able to drive commercial potential of their research. HBCUs um, have been uh, trying to pivot towards much greater uh, productivity with regards to not just R&D, but commercialization. Uh, we have some wonderful examples. Uh, Alabama A&M is one, Florida A&M, North Carolina A&T, Howard University, Hampton University, Prairie View A&M, and certainly Morgan State University are examples of HBCUs that have been able to demonstrate uh, great potential in driving uh, value uh, from research that's actually happening on their campuses in a variety of different fields into commercial entities. 
But let's talk for a moment about what tech transfer actually is and what it means. Um, the transfer of technology really is about a process of research and discovery uh, that starts, of course, with faculty and students. Um, that's usually supported by a federal agency. It could be the National Science Foundation, where Dr. Chichi is. It could be the National Institutes of Health. It could be the Department of Energy or Department of Defense. Uh, there are a variety of, of uh, federal agencies that support research on HBCU campuses. But there are also private uh, sector entities, companies, and foundations that support research as well. Uh, there are a lot of uh, defense contractors. There are a lot of companies that are in the IT or tech sector um, that, and also don't leave out the, the biotech and the biopharma sectors that uh, do engage in contractual research with uh, colleges and universities. So those are the uh, primary sources of funding uh, to support on-campus research activities. Um, once uh, a, a faculty member and uh, his or her team, which might include students, graduate students, undergraduate students, develop ideas that seem like they have commercial potential. The ideal scenario is that the, there's a tech transfer office that works on campus with faculty to disclose um, the technology potential for commercialization so that the university or college uh, can uh, work with uh, the IP so that it is prosecuted through a process where there's a patent application that's sent to the USPTO, the Patent Trade uh, uh, Office. And so the, the, the reason why the patents are important is because it protects the intellectual property of um, the university and college. And I wanna clarify, because a lot of people ask questions around, well, who owns what? Uh, faculty members and or students on uh, their respective campuses typically will have an agreement with the university that the patent is assigned to the university, meaning the university actually owns the technology, owns the IP, unless and until they license it to a commercial entity. Um, and so there's usually a negotiation between the university or college and the faculty member such that the faculty member and his or her team will have some royalty rights, meaning if the uh, patent is executed and licensed, some of that money goes back to the university and some of it actually goes back to the faculty member and his or her team that helped to create it. Um, and that, that, those negotiations vary depending upon which campus you're on. But the point of the tech transfer process, and I'm gonna focus on the transfer aspect of it, is to get the intellectual property into a, a place and position where it can be fully commercialized, meaning fully developed into a product or service, um, and then utilized in the private sector, co the commercial space, um, to uh, be further developed into either a fully integrated company or uh, licensed to an existing company that can then leverage that technology to build out their own research uh, or uh, products or services that they, they may already have or want to develop. And so that is a, a broad overview of the uh, tech transfer process. There are some aspects of it that um, are unique, meaning a company can come to a university and say, we're interested in 
uh, your faculty members working on a particular project to help us solve a certain set of problems that we're having with our existing products. And there can be that kind of research partnership established, um, which is a, a unique scenario, but a lot of uh, universities and colleges have that potential to partner with companies and that, that often happens. Um, so for HBCUs, I think it's critical that um, we support their efforts around basic and translational research, but also the tech transfer process itself to help facilitate IP management, that is intellectual property management, and aligning uh, the development of intellectual property with the interests of the private sector. And so I'm gonna segue it over to Opportunity Zone for a moment. It seems to me that based on the legislation policy and the opportunities coming from uh, developers in the private sector that are looking at HBCUs as opportunities to engage commercially, that we have some interesting possibilities where HBCUs could attract um, companies from the private sector to uh, build uh, partnerships that would uh, result in resources being invested on our campuses, in particular uh, with faculty conducting research, um, where you have centers of excellence in particular areas of engineering, um, biolife science, there's an opportunity there to generate new intellectual property. And what the opportunity zones then would provide is a unique way of uh, driving interest to commercialize those uh, that technology and offer an attractive opportunity for investments that would come in and support uh, either the licensing of or the spin out of companies based on the R&D um, that's in the zone itself in a way that's affiliated with the HBCU. So this is a really, I think, unique opportunity. We're in a different um, era now that perhaps HBCUs could take advantage of these opportunities and create um, some new commercial uh, uh, centers around HBCUs in those opportunity zones. So let me uh, pause there. I hope I've covered um, that material in, in a sufficient manner. Uh, Dr. Womack, that was a, a, a really tour of the waterfront with regard to tech transfer in, in OZs. Thank you. And uh, just to wind up, I want to very quickly give two examples. Um, Chad mentioned um, agencies and the government that are engaged in this kind of tech transfer with HBCUs. Here is some breaking news. Just today, concurrent with, with our webinar now, Los Alamos National Laboratory is presenting a webinar on how the Department of Energy National Laboratory Network engaged in research development in the hydrogen and fuel cell space is actually engaging with HBCUs, including providing students with research and learning opportunities in this field. And that's going on right today. And that just shows how the energy department and the 17 national laboratories are engaging with HBCUs. And then secondly, the defense department is operating a special STEM workforce initiative focused on food security around the country by promoting agricultural literacy through STEM research at HBCUs and minority uh, serving institutions. And this includes opportunities for these colleges to secure Department of Defense funding to advance research capacity and support workforce development 
and these programs are embedded in Army, Navy, and Air Force component commands. So I just wanted to give those two really important examples, and I'll give it back to uh, Keith and Teresa. Thank you. Pleasure to segue that great news into introducing you um, rapidly to J.R. Baggerty, who is, I'm going to just now begin to call a regular on our, you know, prod podcasts, our webinars through the MBDA, Minority Business Development Agency. And I think, J.R., you would agree that that was great news on behalf of the award for Alabama A&M. Oh, excellent. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Now, congratulations there. Um, I know also just from Keith, what you told me at Alabama A&M is, is uh, heavily engaged in the government contracting space. So uh, we're definitely interested in that. And just let me back up and, and say, you know, hello to everybody on behalf of the Department of Commerce, U.S. Uh, Minority Business Development Agency. So uh, I'm the one of two um, on the capital access team. And you know, at uh, MBDA, we pretty much focus on access to contracts, capital, and global market and internet um, expansion. So, you know, we've got a cadre of about 40 or 50 different, 40 some business centers around the country, some specialty centers. Uh, a couple of this, um, couple of this centers are connected with um, universities. Uh, the Georgia Tech, uh, Atlanta Center is connected with Georgia Tech. And so there's opportunities for to partner with, with HBCUs if there's a specialty or something in entrepreneurship. I know uh, Morgan State has a program that's focused on um, uh, fintech and blockchain and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're looking to do some, some new and innovative things. We'll have a um, FFO, federal funding opportunity. Uh, grant competition is coming out. There'll be some specialty ones coming out as well. Um, HBCUs are on our radar, so keep uh, keep an eye out for that. So, um, as far as the topic in terms of, of tech and, and um, uh, opportunity zones and broadband, I mean, I see a, a tremendous opportunity. Not to use the word again, but uh, uh, an opportunity there in that space in using the opportunity zones to attract investment. So. Um, there's the investment portion, but, you know, if there's an HBCU that's involved or a major organization that's part of a project, um, that makes the, that makes the uh, investment more and more attractive. Uh, say, for example, um, this is my idea, the creation of a smart city um, in underserved communities, um, basically uh, partnering with an HBCU or something to drive this and the the community would consist of, um, you know, a smart city, mixed use. You have retail, you have a living space, commercial space. You can have incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces, uh, small business development centers, all that, all those things uh, to create a self-sustaining kind of ecosystem in these underserved communities. And of course, the pillar for that, you know, you have to have the infrastructure. So you have to have the broadband um, to put the Wi-Fi in so that everybody can have access to those services. So that's just one example. I mean, it's a big example, but some a project like that, or you know, a project, um, you know, entrepreneurial zone or something like that, uh, in conjunction with an HBCU, these are type of projects that that you know could attract um, you know investors if it's laid out, uh, the business plan, you make the business case, and there's a lot of uh, money floating out there right now. A lot of uh, corporate money. Folks, folks want to do things for social injustice and the advancement of uh, 
entrepreneurship. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of ideas out there that we can do. So we look and uh, look to partner with organizations. Um, as I said, HBCUs are higher on our radar screen right now. Uh, Dr. Arak, uh, you want to close us out? I cannot thank each and every presenter enough because the conversation connects to the other. We're going to say on our eye, on our side, uh, at what works and IAEOZ, not only thank you, we're humbled by the grand participation, but Dr. Arak, please close us out. Thank you, JR. We'll be back in touch momentarily and everyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I just want to thank each of the presenters today, the conversationalists uh, who have taken time from their busy schedules to be with us. I want to certainly uh, extend appreciation to my president and to my leadership, whose forward thinking has propelled us into uh, this event today, but has also enabled us to enter into uh, so many other uh, visionary uh, initiatives at the university. I'm asking that each of you to please visit our, our website because I certainly uh, do not want to take the time today to talk about uh, everything that we're doing, but I certainly want to highlight the work that we're doing. First of all, we're located in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, which in itself is, um, is a, a treasure uh, place uh, for us. Uh, Huntsville, um, Alabama is home to Cummins uh, Research, um, uh, uh, center, and uh, we have the second largest research uh, center within the nation, only a second to that of the Triangle uh, uh, Park in uh, North Carolina. So that within itself really puts us in a, uh, uh, in a unique situation there. Alabama A&M is um, the land grant institution, the 1890 land grant institution. Uh, we offer uh, degrees from the undergraduate level all the way up to uh, the uh, doctoral level. We are the, uh, one of the nation's highest producers of African-Americans, of students of color in many of the STEM areas, including physics and um, engineering and uh, some of the other uh, disciplines. Uh, we are, are very well poised to do work in very unique ways. Um, many years ago, over 20, 20 years ago, and it has been since revamped, uh, we were able to stand up a separate 501c3 entity uh, that uh, provides uh, direct support uh, to providing solutions for government and corporation. And what we're talking about there is a research institute and a research foundation now, uh, the RISE Foundation. Uh, they are at the university, wherein we're able to execute uh, with precision uh, government contracting. Uh, we have extensive past performance in the area of government contracting, having worked with NASA, having worked with DOD and many of the other uh, federal agencies uh, across the nation. We also work, uh, Dr. Seals and Mr. Seals, with the National Laboratories in concert with the work that we do there, uh, and uh, also industry. We've taken on, and I've been personally involved with executing uh, as a third party mentor protege programs and the like. 
Um, and moving forward, we certainly want to talk with you, um, uh, Dr. JR, and the work that you're doing. We are more Absolutely. than poised to do this kind of work. We've been doing it. We have faculty researchers uh, mm -hmm. who are uh, on the cutting edge. Um, right, we're actively right. involved with um, uh, uh, developing payload for NASA uh, and uh, DOD IEDs, um, mm -hmm. detection devices, and all of the other kinds of things that come along with this. Uh, so, so I mentioned that we are an 1890 uh, land-grant institution. We have a 970 two acre farm uh, located uh, just miles from the campus. And uh, we uh, are very proud of the work that we're doing here uh, as a part of, of agriculture uh, and urban studies. Uh, Dr. Presley, thank you so very much for joining us with your students today. Uh, that uh, discipline is a part of the School of Agriculture uh, Urban Studies. So we are so, so, so pleased uh, my good friend and mentor, Dr. Chad Womack, who works with me on a number of other projects, also talked about technology transfer. This is a piece that is near and dear to my heart um, as I work with small and minority businesses across the state of Alabama, uh, helping to push out uh, this effort within small to minority businesses helping our small and minority businesses to reimagine themselves. And that's exactly what we've done now uh, in double um, uh, effort over the past uh, year since we've been confronted with this pandemic. I've uh, been working with our legislators across the state uh, you know, it is unfortunately predicted that um, more than 50% of our businesses will not be able to rebound. Well, we want to squash those figures uh, that um, uh, pertaining to our small and minority businesses because we understand that our small and minority businesses are in fact the souls of our communities. So we want to keep our the soul of our communities very strong and very vibrant. So that's what we are about working um, uh, to give voice to our small and minority businesses. Uh, I, I sit in the College of Business and uh, Public Affairs. So our faculty across the various disciplines are working uh, to promote technology uh, and um, uh, provide um, uh, uh, infrastructural um, assistance, uh, technology, um, uh, and technical assistance to our small and, and minority uh, businesses. Uh, we do have quite a few patents that we've been able to uh, attain over the years uh, on the campus. And, um, and overall, Alabama A&M uh, is considered as a, as a leader uh, among our HBCU communities uh, in the kind of work that we're doing. Um, the kind of passion that our faculty, that our students bring forth, and the kind of community engagement that we find ourselves in uh, within the city of, of Huntsville, and not just the city of Huntsville, but our alums are across the globe. So I'm gonna stop here because I can go on and on. Uh, Mr. Moore, it has certainly been a delight 
to work with you and uh, Mr. Seals and all of your, your team, uh, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Baker, um, all of you. I, I, just, I just cannot say enough. I am so appreciative uh, for all that you do and for uh, Mr. Moore, for uh, your um, unwillingness to take no for an answer. Uh, so we are here today. Uh, Mr. Moore contacted me several months ago with this notion and I said, okay, yeah, right. Okay, so we are here today. And I am so, so, so pleased. And I can certainly see that um, we have developed a very strong partnership uh, with KDM and Associates and I look forward to our next step. Thank you to everyone who has participated. I, I am looking, I see that we have people from across the country. Uh, also uh, some of our H, other HBCUs have my friend uh, from Houston, from Texas Southern. I won't start calling all the names, but from Harry Medical College. Um, and uh, so many others that are here with us today. So we're just, just grateful. And uh, Dr. Sakar, thank you for taking time away from another meeting to be with me uh, here today. And Dr. Hugini, who's always very supportive. And my provost, uh, Dr. Daniel K. Williams. Thank you all so very much. And I look forward to the next step. A big thanks to Charles and our panelists, Dr. Whitley and Dr. Womack. If you haven't already, please go back and listen to the previous episodes and make sure you're on our mailing list Go to www.iaeozsummit.com. And finally, thanks again to Dr. Teresa O'Rourke and our founder, Keith Moore. Make sure you share all three episodes with someone you know who cares to make a difference in Opportunity Zones and HBCUs. Until the next series, I'm Timothy Maurice Webster.